It is uh, Monday morning, and you've survived the weekend. Congratulations, you made it. It's 8 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. This is the AddedSouls.com podcast, the early bird podcast session. Stefan Maia is my name. We go live from Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. And uh, today is Monday, and I'm going to share with you the sermon I preached yesterday. And it's titled, let me see now. The Christ is David's son? You know, question mark. The Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one is David, King David's son? How is that possible? What's happening here, right? Well, we're going to look into that over in the Gospel of Luke chapter 20. Gospel of Luke chapter 20. Bit of housekeeping stuff that we always do in our introduction. Please be sure to consider, at least, at the very least, to subscribe to this channel, Added Souls, to follow, to like, share a comment, share the link far and wide on all your social media playgrounds, and uh, perhaps there's other individuals out there, just like you and I, who find great interest in the substance of the scriptures revealed. And if you do that and you find a spiritual benefit to your life, and you are seeking to partake in a good work, well, please consider signing up to addedsouls.locals.com. I always have it available there at the bottom left of the screen if you're looking at it through the video side of the podcast session. Addedsouls.locals.com. It's also in the show notes if you need the address again. You can sign up there for free. And once there, you can choose to support monetarily each month. There's no amount that's too small. There's no amount that's too big. It all goes to build the Added Souls ministry, which of course works through the Maya family in the gospel endeavors of the kingdom. And uh, all is available to you. Reports, updates, everything is transparent. If you have any con concerns or questions, you can certainly reach out to me. I've been having a great many video uh, conferences and meetings, uh, phone calls, and things of that nature. It's available there to you. You can also send a donation or donations through PayPal, the email address being addedsouls at gmail.com. And you can send me an email if you have any suggestions for podcast sessions or if you have any concerns or questions. That way we can have ourselves a conversation through or via email. And uh, you can also ask me in my email if you need a physical address to mail something, by all means, reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to have a conversation with you. So, is the Christ David's son? How does that work? What's going on over there, right? Well, we're going to put the text on the screen. We're going to open up Luke chapter 20 on the screen, so together you and I can read through it. And uh, we'll kind of look at what's taking place, and I'll share with you uh, the interpretation and the thoughts, uh, perspective, and all the angles that came to my mind as we were studying this. And we also had a devotional with the family regarding this uh, section of Scripture. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke, which is why, naturally, I would be preaching through a great many areas of the Gospel of Luke. And one of them was regarding the resurrection and the interactive conversation that took place between the Sadducees, which of course did not believe in the resurrection, and Jesus Christ, who knew first-hand witness, <laughs> being there from the very beginning, uh, that there is indeed a resurrection, that once 
our soul leaves these bodies, that they go on to meet the Maker, that there is an other location, aside and apart and beyond this one that we currently uh, experience, that we are subject to this natural realm, you know. And uh, so we read that, and we've been reading through that, and a great many questions and and angles, again, perspectives and interpretation there found, which is interesting, and I want to share that with you. So that's what we're going to do. So uh, let me just double check here to make sure our live session is operational, and it is excellent. Now we can close that and put the scripture on the screen. There we go. All right. Is there a resurrection? Well, that's an important question. That's something we should ask ourselves. What does the scripture teach regarding the resurrection? And of course, in the first century, these individuals of the uh, uh, proponents of Judaism, if you will, born within the covenant of the old system, and adherence to that very law for, you know, centuries upon centuries, um, not much is truly revealed on the afterlife. However, there is still verses in the Old Testament that do point to the fact that there is an afterlife. Okay? And uh, they would have known these verses. They should have known these verses uh, that would point to that. And of course, Jesus, greatly more so in his teaching, his ministry, revealed the necessity for our free will to make decisions that would lead us, allow us, God's grace into the heavenly realm, into the next life, the Hadean realm, either in paradise or torment. Consequences pending on our actions and how we live our lives here as free moral agents, free-willed agents, with the capability of choosing right from wrong, right? Of course, the scriptures teach us what is right, that we cling to what is right, and that we flee from what is wrong, what is evil, what is foolish. And in chapter 20, of the Gospel of Luke, we see religious leaders of the day, right? Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, elders, scribes, individuals with their loyalists, individuals of great intimidation. They knew the law. They know the law. These individuals were very intelligent with the law. They could recite, quote, meditate upon, memorize, teach, preach the law. They knew the scriptures. They knew it very well. And for you and I, the blue-collar common guy, it could be intimidating, greatly so. These individuals were scholarly in their nature and were well-versed, which sadly allowed them to utilize the law for their own selfish ambitions, to create law, bind law, and find others guilty of a law they themselves would not bind or not uh, be bound by. Uh, of course, the hypocrisy that Jesus would rebuke in these individuals, these characters of the first century. And uh, a great many fell prey to these devices, these uh, strifeful uh, enterprises that these religious in individuals would, would practice uh, and the envy therein, and all that kind of stuff taking place. And uh, if you were found prey, you would be devoured, meaning you would believe their lies, 
you would believe them and be swallowed up. And if you're found within the belly of the beast, and the beast is thrown into the pit, well, you're going to be found in the pit. Be aware of these individuals. You know, they will win you over if you're not strong enough. If you're vulnerable, they will win you over uh, to uh, a very destructive uh, side. And so Jesus is having to address these individuals or interact with these kinds because they approach him, they attack him, they're confrontational. They are bullish in nature, very divisive, and they know the scriptures. So they have that masquerade. They have the capability of uh, producing an outward uh, masquerade to their inward wolves. You know, inside they are ravenous wolves, but outwardly they portray themselves as sheep, you know, well-versed and to be trusted. Well, is it no wonder that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light? We're, we're quick to say that all those verses, well, they speak about uh, false teachers out there in the denominational world. And in principle, it certainly does apply. A great many false teachers in the denominational world portray themselves as messengers of God, as individuals you should trust. But the context of the scriptures, of course, brings it way closer home, within the fold, within the church, the temple of course, to the Jewish mind in the first century, to us in practical practice, the church, brethren, preachers, elders, evangelists, deacons, that kind of stuff. Um, we tend to think that we would quickly be able to discern the wolf in sheep's clothing because, well, he must have horns on top of his head and a pitchfork and a long tail, right? I mean, he must have that big red face and just easily discernible easily recognizable and identified like, hey, there's the wolf, let's get rid of him. When in fact, he is truly uh, a master of his craft. He is uh, one who knows the art of deception, manipulation, and will make you believe what he says. You will become a loyalist to this individual. He will control your mind. He is the gatekeeper. He holds the key. From one side of his mouth, he will tell you, you need no one to read the Bible and understand it. But yet in his practice and the way he teaches, he makes himself as one that you need to go see in order to understand the Bible. Uh, very deceptive ways, these religious leaders of the first century. And Jesus knew this. Jesus could spot them. Jesus was able to see the ravenous wolf within. And he loving his brethren, caring for the people, wanted to expose these kinds, to let the people who truly seek the truth and his disciples to know, you, you can't trust these individuals. They show themselves to be trustworthy in their actions, but their hearts are far away. The, 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 the way they do things is very, very manipulative. And so they would confront Jesus, these kinds, because they knew they were on to him. <laughs> they knew that he was on to them, sorry. So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priest, uh, the scribes, all of these individuals of the first century, uh, they knew Jesus was able to, to, to spot them and, and uh, call them out. And they didn't like that whatsoever. I, I tell you, these diatrophic individuals, these Pharisaical ilks, uh, they don't like to be exposed. They don't like to be told... Uh, uh, they don't like that people are being told who they truly are. 
So in chapter 1, verse 1, of course, we see how the chief priest and the scribes with the elders confronted Jesus. They're confrontational, very intimidating, very bullish. You know, we know the law. We're smart, you're stupid. You shut your mouth and sit down. Don't question us. Don't challenge us. We know everything. You know nothing. You know, that kind of attitude. And so who, how dare Jesus you know, do what he is doing and say the things that he is saying. But Jesus, and we have much to learn from Jesus, would shut them down. We take it for granted now, reading after the fact, but if you're there in the midst of the assemblies and the crowds with these individuals of the first century, and you're hearing Jesus reply to these people, they must have been like, wow, we've always been intimidated by these kinds. We've always been submissive to these kinds and controlled by these kinds because, well, they took preeminence. They put themselves, they exalted themselves in positions where you needed to go see them in order to understand the scriptures and the law. So we just blindly followed all their traditions because they had the ability to use the scriptures to their advantage, not for the greater good of the kingdom or for the greater good of God's cause and will, no, but for their own selfish desires. And they would do that. And if you would see them in public, you'd see them pray, you'd see them fast, you'd see them give to the poor. It was a facade of sorts that would have you uh, 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 believing a lie. Oh, look at how look at how these individuals are. They're so loving. They're so, you know, we trust them. They had their loyalist. But they're confrontational. They're bullies. The true essence of these wolves are, are revealed when you open your mind to the fact uh, that uh, and, and you awaken to who these characters truly are. In verse 19, the scribes and the chief priests tried to, uh, to lay hands on, on Jesus. They wanted to hurt him. They wanted to murder him. They're just filled with envy, strife, and jealousy. They can't stand that Jesus is a faithful, uh, transparent, honest, genuine uh, person and authority. And it's so deceptive that they even watched him from a distance and sent spies who pretended to be righteous in verse 20 of chapter 20. Why would they do such a nefarious, sinister plot? Why would they uh, devise this, this, uh, this unrighteous endeavor? Well, so that they might catch Jesus in some kind of a statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and authority of the governor. They were looking to have him in trouble, to remove him, to run him out of town, to murder him, whatever they needed to do, to put him out of the church. These individuals, that's what they do. And so they would question him. They were not sincere. They were not authentic. They were not genuine or honest. They were quite deceptive and manipulative and bullish. Again, and that leads us, of course, and we might look into these accounts here, uh, verses 1 through 18 or verses 19 through 26, if we have time. But our uh, the bulk of section we are looking into in more detail is going to be from verse 27 and following, where now, he's now it's with the Sadducees. Aren't they so sad, you see? Ha, ha, ha. How many times have we heard that one? The Sadducees are sad, don't you see? And the Pharisees, well, they're not fair at all. So the Sadducees are here. And he's dealing with them now. So look at how this takes place, these bullies, right? Their, their, their intimidation and their, their loyalist along with them, of course, um, wanting to, to get Jesus in trouble, challenge him, make him 
want to make Jesus look a fool among everyone and, and just uh, make a mess of things. And so there came to Jesus some of the Sadducees. And the Sadducees would have been known as the individuals who knew the law but would loosen the law for their own, for their own selfish ambitions. And the Pharisees knew the law and would bind the law but would add to the law uh, and bind for their own selfish ambitions. You know, um, and they often had an idea that the Messiah would be either a Sadducee or a Pharisee you know, a scribe, a chief priest, those kind of things, when indeed Jesus was none of those things at all, because God never created a Pharisee. God never authorized a Sadducee. These schools of thought and practice and interpretation, these lawyers um, would do things that were of the hypocritical mind. I've seen that firsthand. These kinds will say something and bind a law, create a law out of thin air, bind it, find you guilty, while they themselves practice the very thing they just damned your soul to hell with. You know, it's just, it's almost surreal. It'll have you question your own sanity when these individuals can look at, look you in the face and speak bold face lies. It'll have you question your sanity. So Jesus was certainly strong and courageous well-versed and capable of addressing these individuals. And sometimes the best way was just go away. Don't even deal with them. But here they, the Sadducees, who say that there is no resurrection. Remember, they do not believe that once you leave these physical bodies, that your soul departs from these physical bodies, that you actually go somewhere. They, somewhere else. They don't believe that. That there will no, not be a raising of the dead, if you will. And so they question Jesus. Asking questions is not a sin. Asking questions is encouraged. You should ask questions. Some just blindly follow the lies of these religious leaders without even questioning. They'll blindly follow the lies of a religious leader speaking in such a manipulative tongue. They will not seek to know the truth. They'll just blindly accept what is being said. Why? Well, because they're so smart. They're scholarly. They're educated. They can't be wrong. It's impossible. Why do you think we blindly follow individuals who have PhD attached to their name? Why do you think you go to the doctor and they give you prescriptions and you don't ask many questions? You're just like, well, they're smart. They're educated. They went to school. So I suppose the pharmaceuticals they are prescribing to me must be the real deal. And who am I? I'm not educated. I just, you know, I wake up, go work at the factory nine to five. I get home. I pay my bills. I pay my taxes. I try to be an upstanding citizen of the community. I do the best I can. I mean, I'm just going to blindly trust the doctor and his prescriptions. Well, what if the prescriptions he's been giving you is poisonous to your context and your health? You wouldn't know. You're just going to end up dying one day. <laughs> well, sadly, in a world filled of corruption and a fallen society, you kind of need to become everything in order not to be taken advantage of. Well, some blindly follow the individual behind the pulpit, the bully behind the pulpit. Shut your mouth, sit down, you know nothing, I know everything, I'm educated, you're not. And they follow that. They think that is love. They think that is conviction. They think that is Bible. That's true. And the... The Sadducees, the, the Pharisees, the, the, the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the lawyers, they, they operated in that same fashion. 
because it works. Intimidation works. To be a bully works. You get your way. Look at the socio-political atmosphere. And we're not going to go deep in that excursion, but look at the socio-political atmosphere. Look at our current leaders. How did they get there? By bullying their way into power. <clears throat> when we, in our guilt, should have been capable of discerning the threat and extinguishing it immediately. We didn't do that. And so now the wolf is in power and he has a divisive tongue and he causes a split in the country and he pins one against the other. And he plays the game of believe what I say and don't believe what the others say. And the others say, believe what I say and don't believe what they say. And they're in the confusion. But there's no confusion in the mind of the individual who knows the truth. And God is not easily, God is not fooled at all. Okay, so these Sadducees here in verse 27, they approach Jesus and they say there's no resurrection. So they want to question him. And when they question him, friends, it's not an honest, sincere, genuine question for answers, seeking answers. It's not ask, seek, and knock. No, 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 no. Two individuals, same community, same neighborhood, two individuals of the same community asking the same question. Are there any police officers here? Same question. One of them's asking because he needs public assistance immediately. It's an emergency. The other is asking because he's seeking to go thieving, and he wants to make sure the law is nowhere in sight. Are there any police officers here? No? Good. The coast is clear. I can go thieving. The other is, the, are there any police officers here? Yes, there's one over there. Okay, good. Excellent. Bring him here. There's been an accident or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. So it's the same with religious affairs. Some will sit down questioning not to learn, but to try to ensnare the faithful, try to challenge the faithful in a way that is unrighteous. They're trying to find fault in you. They're trying to uh, corner you, put you inside a dilemma of sorts. Well, that might work with you and I who are not perfect. We're not God on earth. Far from it. Though these Sadducees thought they were God on earth, the Pharisees did, and a great many of these today behind the pulpit think they're God on earth. I assure you, they have that arrogance they have that arrogance within them. So here they question Jesus saying, this is what they're saying. And pay, you know, stick with it here. Pay attention. Teacher, Moses, so now they're pulling authority. To them, authority means Moses. So they're going to quote scripture. And they're going to utilize an individual in which they honor and respect. Moses is a big deal to the Jewish mind. So they say, teacher, Moses wrote for us that, and now they quote scripture. They must be right. I mean, they're quoting scripture, right? They're very well versed. They're scholarly. They know the scriptures. So here's the foundation they set forth. We're going to quote scriptures. If a man's brother dies, having a wife, and he is childless, his brother should marry the wife, and raise up children to his brother. Oh, they know the scriptures. They quote the scriptures. They want to challenge Jesus. They want to question him. They have the scriptures. They must be right. And people all around them, the entourage, the crowd, the followers, the loyalists, those who are uncertain, those on the fence, those who are capable of discerning right from wrong, those who are not, all of it. Looking at this saying, well, they're quoting scriptures. They know scriptures. They must be right. Well, here's where these individuals proceed to vomit their word salads. 
You know, these kinds, they'll intimidate you with word salads. Oh, all sorts of words. You don't even know what they're talking about. It's purposely done to manipulate you. Why? Because you're not smart and they are. You're stupid. They're educated. So they're going to speak all this word salad to you. It keeps you under their control. You need them to know stuff because you can't think on your own. So here they proceed to do that in a challenge towards the Christ. Well, that's not going to... These kind of manipulative tactics might work on you and I if we are vulnerable, if we are weak, if we've been uh, 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 set back and and, uh, mentally abused by these individuals. We'll fall prey to this devouring. But Jesus is not going to fall prey to that. Jesus knows very well who they are. So now they proceed to vomit the word salad. All this kind of talk and scenario and situation to snare him, to challenge him, to question him, see what he's going to say. Let's catch him in something, right? They must be right. They're quoting scripture. Verse 29. Now there were seven brothers, they say. Out of the scripture, this is what they pull out. Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died childless. Now that's a problem. You want children. You want a bloodline. You want an ancestry. You must have that. It takes care of the women. You need children. You need men. This is a different culture. This is a different time in our history, in the first century Palestinian Jewish tradition, the Jewish law, the way they functioned. Got to take care of family. How? Well, got to make sure there is offspring, procreation taking place. Now, there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died childless, Verse 30, and the second. And the third, verse 31, married her. And in the same way, all seven died, leaving no children. Oh, quite the scenario there. Let's go to the extremes, shall we? Finally, the woman died also. Well, isn't that tragic? Let's let's bring in all of this together, right? And they say, in the resurrection, therefore, which they don't believe, Verse 27 is quite clear on that. Who say that there is no resurrection. They don't believe in the resurrection. But here they are asking through this word salad, this mumbo jumbo of a scenario, in the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? And again, there's nothing wrong with the question per se or the scenario per se. It's the motive and the heart of the individual that's in question. (laughs) That's why these sorts of manipulators will have you isolated and withdrawn to even question anyone's motives. That's one of the first things they will try to instill into your mind. Don't ever, ever, ever question anyone's motives. Just blindly follow what is outwardly seen. So that way, when you, you, your inner conscience starts to say, well, the motive of this individual is very selfish. No, you're not allowed to say that. I'll be damned to hell if I start questioning motives. And if I dare even voice my concern regarding this preacher or this elder or these deacons or other members to anyone else, uh uh-oh, I'm damned. Why? I've been practicing gossip. Yet I'd wonder who among these pharisaical individuals would damn John for writing to Gaius about a certain individual named Diotrephes. Is John now guilty and damned to hell for gossip? Well, no. Again, the strategy of these very bullish intimidators. So here they are. 
And they've got this wrapped up very well. This question, that scripture, from a pure motive, is very well received and and welcomed. Let's sit down and talk about it. But the context of this is from individuals who are not looking to learn from Jesus whatsoever. They don't care about the truth. That's why when you're seeking the truth from these individuals, they will tell you, shut your mouth, sit down, you're stupid, I'm smart, you need to know that we're not going to tell you what you're seeking to know, you just need to accept it. You're the problem, you fix it. Well, that don't work well. That don't work well and God understands that and sees that and there's a sad ending and a great gnashing of teeth for all these Sadducees and Pharisees and individuals who have done these kind of things taking place. In the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. Oh, oh no, what are we going to say to that, right? What happens? They don't even believe in the afterlife, mind you, but they've got this all figured out. Well, Jesus says to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. That's what takes place. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve, male, female, they were blessed. What's the blessing? They're married, husband and wife now. That's what takes place. That's what you're seeing. That happens. But those who are considered worthy to attain. Now, that's important language from the Christ here. And we tend to perhaps overlook that. Considered worthy to attain. A, an inspired revealing from the words of Christ proving the point that we are free-willed agents, that when we reach the age of accountability, we are independent to it. And we must stand individually accountable, intellectually capable of doing what's right or wrong before God, judgment. But those who are considered, well, how can we be considered worthy? And how does one attain? There is action involved. Not only must it birth in your mind this belief, this belief, this faith, this trust must outwardly produce an action. To attain something demands an action. Faith without works is dead. You can pray for needy brethren all you want to. If your prayer does not have the backing of action towards a needy brother or sister, uh, friends, your soul is in danger. But those who are considered, how can I be considered to be qualified? How does one qualify to become a child of God, to become a Christian? How does one qualify to receive the forgiveness of sins? Again, one is found worthy to attain when one produces an outward action. But those who are considered worthy to attain to the age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. And of course, through this interaction in which Jesus is revealing the fact that there is a resurrection, that there is a location above and beyond the one we are experiencing here and now on this earth, he is revealing insight into what that even looks like. There is no marriage in paradise, in heaven. You're not getting married over there. There's no need for that over there. For they cannot even die anymore. They think they've got an they think they've got Jesus on the basis of death. But Jesus debunks their feeble attempts with the message of life. 
Well, what about death? What about death? What about death? Well, what about death? Death is not the end in Christ. Life. Never-ending life. Everlasting life. Eternal life. You see, these religious leaders only have one thing to give you. Death. And they'll masquerade it as some sort of scholarly enterprise that they endeavor. It's, it's a masquerade. They're feeble little men. Masquerading behind uh, some kind of a, a, a massive presence. Nah, not at all. These individuals, Christ knew their hearts. He could see this before him, and he was not going to mess around with them that way. He's not going to fall into the, their snare. They have a message of death. He has a message of life. For they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels, of course, messengers. Messengers have purpose. There is purpose in the heavenly realm and are sons of God. John chapter 1 tells us how we become children of God, how we can qualify to become children of God. Believers, those who receive Jesus Christ and his message, qualify to become children of God. That is the language revealed in the Gospel of John chapter 1. And of course, John explains at what very moment one who qualifies becomes a child of God when he is born again out of water and the Spirit. John 3.3, 3, John 3.5. They cannot even die anymore because they are like messengers and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. On that day, those who are in Christ and faithful will indeed be with our Lord and Master forevermore. The resurrection is an objective standard. It is an objective, absolute reality of our existence. He says, but that the dead are raised. Even Moses, and this is what's so powerful about Jesus. Here they come with scripture, Adam. And someone who's not well-versed, someone who's vulnerable, Someone who is not strong in their faith. Someone who has been idle. You know, the pew dwellers. The pew warmers. They've been in the church for 30, 40 years. But they've never truly contributed. They've never truly learned how to discern these things. Man, they don't know the difference. You can put a Pharisee behind the pulpit, they'll believe it. You can put a Sadducee behind the pulpit, they'll believe the Sadducee. Some of them today in the Lord's Church, you could truly put the Roman Catholic Pope behind the pulpit and they will follow the Roman Catholic Pope, having been members of the church for 30, 40 years. Here they are quoting scripture. They must be right. People in the entourage here would have seen the Sadducees as the good guys, the ones to trust. Well, yeah. Well, they want to quote Moses? All right. Jesus brings them to Moses. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed. Look at this. Even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush. Well, who was the burning bush? God. Well, of course it was God. But God in the second person of the Godhead. You got to see this, man. It's just, it'll blow your mind. So here's Jesus speaking to individuals, trying to quote Moses for their selfish ambition. 
when indeed Jesus, the Christ, the second person of the Godhead, was the burning bush speaking to Moses. Come on, you gotta love this. Even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. It's so interesting. Jesus is telling these Sadducees, you quote Moses? Guess who Moses looked up to and spoke to for, author for his authority? Me. But they're so blind, you can't teach these people anything. They know everything. How can you teach anyone that knows everything? They're puffed up. They're boastful. They know the law. They quote the scriptures. They know the scriptures very well. And these kinds tried to blame Jesus for the guilt they had. They project. Jesus is a deceiver. No, they were the deceivers. Jesus is a liar. No, they were the liars. Jesus is just trying to diminish our light and exalt himself in preeminence. No, that's exactly what they were doing. Jesus is an egotistical maniac. No, that's exactly who they were. Jesus was a pharisaical... No, that's who they were. The bully spews accusations, and he should do so looking in the mirror. But once you've been removed from that spell, you get to thinking really clearly. And you start to connect the, 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 the dots. Look at, and that angers the beast. That angers the bully. These Sadducees, these Pharisees, once they saw that some of their loyalists were no longer as loyal to them as they once were, that they actually started to think for themselves and see Jesus and hear Jesus, they were no longer going to affiliate themselves with these religious leaders of the day. And that angered these religious leaders because they are losing what exactly? Control, their preeminence, the money. They need the money. That's what they do. Here's Jesus telling them, I'm God. I was the one who spoke to Moses. Moses spoke to me. You want to quote Moses? Okay, quote Moses. And he's making them think about what it is exactly Moses said. The Lord God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. How can a living God be a living God to individuals who had not gone on to another world, another realm? It's, it's, it makes no sense. They're... Jesus is basically saying to them, the authority in which you quote Moses, Moses would have been a misguided individual to speak the words he spoke if there was no such thing as a resurrection because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had long gone and left, but yet still they are recognized through the mind of Moses as being alive somewhere, somehow. And you want to try to tell me there's no resurrection of the dead? Moses believed in the resurrection of the dead. You quote Moses in trying to snare me? You add all kinds of verbal word salad to try to get me to uh, be uh, pushed in a corner in a dilemma of sorts? No, 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 no. 
Moses himself believed in the very things you choose not to believe in, that there is a resurrection. How can God be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? If Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob no longer exist, there's no resurrection of the dead, there's no going on to another place after this one. <laughs> oh, come on, man, you know. Now, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Verse 38, again, the God of the living is a God of life. And you religious leaders have nothing but a message of death. In a local congregation where life is taking place, you will find growth. You will find a peace. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. You'll find that there. In a congregation led by these pharisaical divisive bullies, you're going to walk on eggshells all the time. You're going to be tyrannically ordered around and bossed around. These kinds, they'll put all kinds of specks in your eyes because they swing the log that's sticking out of their forehead around there and they hit the members. And what happens when a log is hitting the members? You get splinters. These kinds will, with their logs, will just create a whole bunch of splinters in the church. They're divisive. They, they cause all kinds of problems. There's no love there. There's no life there. There's nothing but death. That's why all these do is dismantle. They discourage. They dismantle. They deplete. They divide. And they'll have you believing that it's all the faithful's fault. They have nothing to do with it. It's all the faithful's fault. And with their word salads, which has been generated to make you trust them and only them as gatekeepers... You fall prey. You've been devoured. And on the day of judgment, you will be greatly, greatly sorrowful. You wouldn't be... You, you've been convinced of a lie. You've become delusional to their ways. Many of these who are following the Sadducees fell prey to that kind. To that kind. But some were awakening to it. Some were like, whoa, what's been happening all these years that I was following this individual, these religious leaders? A message of death. A message of death is all they have. They're not going to grow anything. That's why individuals seek a location where there is love, there is kindness, there is discernment, there is balance. It's not the Sadducee who loses law, and it's not the Pharisees who create and bind laws, add laws. The Sadducees take away from the scriptures, the Pharisees add to the scriptures. And these, sadly, are found within the fold as elders, deacons, and preachers, and evangelists. You got to withdraw from those people. Very toxic individuals. How? Now, now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Friends, folks, listen. Follow the living God. Follow the living God. Let go your loyalty to these kind of religious leaders. They're not leading you to heaven. They'll tell you they are, and they are fully convinced they're right. Their conscience is clear. They're fully convinced they're right. They're right. They've always been right. They've never been wrong. They know everything. They're damned, scripturally so speaking, for their arrogance.
they had a they have a wide blind spot. And how can they not have a blind spot? They've got a log sticking out of their eye. People know that. If you take the time to look from an outward perspective to what's happening with these individuals that Jesus was dealing with, again, you can clearly see what's happening. Now, some of the scribes, of course, answered and said to Jesus, verse 39, Teacher, you have spoken well. You think that's genuine? You think that's real? Of course not. They're, they've not just repented and said, oh, wow, you know, we've been so wrong about him. Teacher, you have spoken well. For they did not have the courage to question him any longer about anything. What are they going to say to that? There's nothing else to say. Oh, I'm certain you had some people there saying to Jesus, oh, you're so unkind to them. It's just a petty disagreement. Can't you guys work it out? Can't you all just get together and work this out? We're all brethren here. Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests and the elders and the lawyers, and Jesus and his disciples, his apostles, his followers. Oh, we're all just brethren here. Let's just work it out. Let's not make a mountain out of a molehill here. No, no, come on. Jesus just needs to say he's wrong and they're right. Jesus just needs to submit himself fully under the control of these religious leaders like the others. Everything will be fine. That Jesus causing all sorts of ruckus. Oh, you have brethren who would say those things in the first century. You know how we know that? Because you have brethren in the same context today saying the same thing. For some, it's not their fault. They're just bystanders. They're walking by and they're seeing this interaction taking place. And the only thing they've ever seen is the good work that they thought these religious leaders were doing. They've not seen behind the curtains. They've not seen the interactions. They've not been there to see what was happening with uh, verse 1 of chapter 20 where the chief priest were at the temple there, uh, 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 the chief priest and the scribes and the elders were confronting Jesus and what they were doing. Oh, no, no, no. Didn't see, you know, it, a message of life, Jesus is speaking. You can't. You can't reason with these individuals. You must withdraw from them. You must remove yourself from them. Some scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. Well, of course he has, <laughs> but they're not saying that because they truly, genuinely believe that. There's a big difference with encouraging words, motive, and flattery. Flattery is a very different animal. It's a beast in which is getting ready to stab you in the back. For they did not have courage to question him any longer about anything. What are you going to say to that? Then he said to them, How is it? that they say the Christ is David's son. Oh, now Jesus is just being, oh, now he's just being vindictive, isn't he? He's just being bitter against them. I mean, they already said they're done. Teacher, you have spoken well. Why, don't, why not just leave it as that? Why not just get along? Leave it at that, Jesus. You don't need to say anything. You don't need to make things worse. You've already proven your point. Like, what are you doing? 
How is it that they say the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, where's David? David's long gone. And what did the psalmist say? What did David say? The Lord said to my Lord, the father said to the son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, <laughs> Jesus says, therefore, David calls him Lord. And how is he his son? In its very simple surface essence, Jesus is basically telling them, I'm God. I am the son of God. I'm the one you were born and raised reciting scripture and the prophecies about. Here I am. I am God, the Messiah, the anointed one. Anointed by who? The Father. The Lord said to my Lord, the Father said to the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. How did David write such an information? Therefore, David calls him Lord. And how is he his son? Jesus is saying, I've been around before David. I've been around before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've been around. I've always been around. I've always been. I am. And I will forevermore be. And you're trying to school me? No. No, no, no. No, no. Reason with it. Reason with it. What motive would he have to do what he is doing? What's the motive? These bullies would try to have us not question motives. Oh, that's sinful. No, that's controlling. That's manipulative. The motive of Jesus is pure. The motive of these religious leaders is not pure. But they know how to call good evil and evil good, and a great many fall prey to it. And while all the people were listening, in verse 45, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes. Oh, well now Jesus is just being a big meanie. Oh, I'm not going to follow Jesus. It's clear he's the liar here. It's very clear. I mean, look what he's doing. Causing all this drama. Beware of the scribes. Be aware of your surroundings. You pay attention. You stay focused, sober-minded, and straight on the narrow because these scribes who like to walk around in long robes, oh, they like to walk in there and have their preeminence, the bully behind the pulpit. Look at me, look at me. I'm so smart. And love respectful greetings in the marketplaces? and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. There's no room for you and I there. Where are you and I going to sit? Well, probably somewhere's way in the back until finally we're ran out of the door because there's no room for you and I there. <laughs> These arrogant individuals, they take up all the room. Beware of the scribes. Oh, Jesus must be wrong. He's speaking of people who teach the Bible so well. They transcribe the Bible. They write the Bible. These people are our religious leaders. How dare Jesus say such a thing? Who is he anyways? The son of a carpenter, really? Has anything good come out of Nazareth? Who is this man? And he's telling us, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. It's very tempting to take this verse along with like, 
Matthew chapter 23 and point the finger at Catholicism and say, look at that. That's exactly what's going on here. Well, there was no such a thing as a Roman Catholic in the first century. Catholicism came centuries after the fact over the endeavors of a a governmental or political power in a coalition with Judaism and certain characteristics and tenets of Christianity, formulating a universal religion known as Catholicism. This is not talking about Catholics, though in principle, in principle, in the information we see, we can know it applies to religious individuals today in various denominations. Certainly. We teach it, we preach it. But he's speaking to members of the church, the temple, the Jewish brotherhood, brothers and sisters in Christ. For us, for them, the Jewish fold and covenant. Brethren, beware of the scribes. We tend to think, beware of the denominationalist, and we should. But the wolf in sheep's clothing... He's closer than you think. And he likes all the attention. He does. And these kinds, here's what's so dangerous about them. They devour widows' houses. You know why? They're vulnerable. They don't have a faithful husband leading the home to tell them, wife, Don't you believe the lies of that sneaky snake? Don't you believe the slithering manipulation of these snakes? No, they don't have that, so they're vulnerable. And this, these kinds, they get in there real quick. I've seen them do it. The first thing they do is go to the widow, the widows and the single ladies embolden their behavioral delinquencies, manipulate their thoughts, tell them what they need or what they want to hear, devour them. And that's what these do. They will devour the single ladies, the widows, first and foremost. And for appearance's sake, offer long prayers. Oh, thou this, this and that and the other. Vain, mechanical prayers. Friends, these will receive greater condemnation. Greater? There's such a thing as lesser and greater when it comes to condemnation? Oh yeah. What did Jesus say of Judas? He had the greater sin. Why? They should know better. They should know better. And though they want to convince themselves on this side of eternity that they're right and they're not wrong and my conscience is clear, they're headed towards eternal damnation, a greater condemnation. Why? Because they should have known better. They should have known better. And that's going to eat at them eternally in punishment. They should have known better. They were given a good work. These religious leaders of the day, they had a good work. They could have worked with the Christ. They could have worked with the truth and built the church together. 
It was given to them on a silver platter. The Jews had the lineage. They had the law. They had the Christ come underneath underneath that ancestry and that they had the they had it all there for them given to them on a silver platter here's the good work what did they choose to do lie treachery deception coercion manipulation depletion discouragement division that's all they have to offer and they'll try to tell you it ain't their fault. They're the victims. Who's the fault? Oh, it's just the faithful's fault. They'll point the finger at you and I in their lying tongues. Who devour widows' houses and for appearances' sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. What's the message we leave home with, right? What's going on? There's another life coming. The resurrection of the dead is a real thing. Whether you choose to believe that or not is of no effect on the objective standard of reality, which is the resurrection of the dead. It's going to happen. You see, a lot of these Sadducees among us today behind the pulpit, they're so concerned about now. They think all now. Oh, they might say we believe in the afterlife, but they don't act like that. They want everything now. Now, now, mine, 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 selfish ambition, out of strife and envy. They live life like there's not another one to come. That's why they try to do as much damage as they can on this earth. God will take care of that when the sky opens. You and I, we stay humble. We stay humble. We remain transparent. We want God's forgiveness. We confess our sins. We want to go to heaven one day, and we'll do whatever it takes to go to heaven. We must be always ready to repent of any sin that we are guilty of. But friends, don't ever bow down and ask forgiveness for something you've not done. These Sadducees would have had Jesus compromised and submissive to their control. If they, if they would have just, admit, if he would have just, admit, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever you say I'm guilty of, I'm guilty of. Don't violate your conscience. Not going to do that. You can look inwardly in the mirror and know what you struggle with. You can be self-aware. I've been self-aware of my struggles since day one. I am well aware of who I am and what I do. These kind of manipulators, they'll have you question your sanity. Don't buy into them. Don't let them into your mind. You know what you're struggling with. You know what you're guilty of. You know what you're not guilty of. You may struggle with addiction. You may struggle with anger. I've struggled with those things greatly. I've repented of those things. I've learned how to manage those things. But don't ever need forgiveness for something you've not done. These kinds wanted to accuse Jesus of being a deceiver, a blasphemer, a liar, you name it. They even called him the devil. Jesus was not guilty of those things whatsoever. Stay focused, stay positive. There's an afterlife. Jesus knows it. And uh, he allowed that to be revealed pretty, very wisely so. And that's where we want to go when we leave this earth. Once we depart this earth, we want to know we will be in the warm embrace of eternity with our Lord and Master.
Just because a Sadducee tells you you're headed to hell or a Pharisee says you're damned because of this, that, and the other, don't pay attention to them. They can quote scriptures like the Sadducees and they'll manipulate and give you all kinds of word salads trying to prove their point. They're unscriptural. And what they've done is sinful. And it's a great sin. It's the greater sin. They destroyed families and they destroyed congregations. Don't pay attention to them. Stay focused to Jesus. Share his good news with those who seek. And you will be raised with him. It's very simple. Gospel is not complicated. If you believe in Jesus and you want to make him the ruler of your life, you're willing to repent, change your mind, and produce fruits of repentance. You confess him as your Lord and Master, you qualify. If you have faith in him, you qualify to be saved, to be forgiven of your sins. And friends, it's not complicated. The world out there will try to lie to you all the time. You're not meritoriously earning anything. You're not needing to be boastful of anything. You're just submitting yourself to being saved by Jesus Christ, calling on his name. Now why tarriest thou? Right? Acts 22.16, Acts 2.38, Acts 8.36, Galatians 3.26.27, Colossians 2.12, 1 Peter 3.21, Mark 16.16. I could go on and on and on. You must be born again. But that won't happen if you're not a believer. You need to believe. Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you don't believe, you'll be damned. Why? Because you'll never produce an action in which would have you as a candidate worthy to attain. See that here? Remember verse 35 of what we were saying? Considered worthy to attain? If you want to be considered worthy to attain, you must believe in Jesus. Jesus is the one that's going to save your soul in that watery grave. Not the water, not the individual helping you go down in the water. Jesus is the one saving your soul. You submit to that. That's something you allow to be done to you. That's passive. And when you come up out of that water, you've been added to the church Jesus built. There's only one church, the one he built. If you'd like to know more about that, you can send me an email, addedsouls at gmail.com. We can get together, we can open the Bible, and we can study. If you don't want to believe a word I say, then don't. Meet God on your own, on your own independent accountability. All right, my friends, we're an hour in now, and that will conclude this session. This is the sermon I preached yesterday. Stefan Maia is my name. AddedSouls.com is the website. This is the Early Bird Podcast Sessions. Friends, please consider supporting this work. We do need to attain a certain financial goal each month, and we're falling behind. So please consider getting involved so that we can keep producing this kind of material, so that we can be available for the gospel in our community and the mission field. You can sign up to addedsouls.locals.com and therein you can choose to support monthly whatever amount you're willing and able to give. You can send a donation immediately to PayPal, addedsouls at gmail.com. You can send me an email if you seek a hard address. I'll give you the address. You can mail something to me. Of course, that'll give you updates and reports and all that kind of wonderful stuff. All right, I think that's about it. The itinerary goes as follows for the week, 8 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time, Monday to Friday. On Monday, I shared the sermon I preached on Sunday. 
On Tuesday, we analyze the lyric, we examine a song from the secular world and have a discussion on that. On Wednesdays, we are studying the Bible. It's a Bible study and we're going through the book of Genesis. On Thursdays, we have ourselves a topical trip where we discuss something on a specific topic. And on Friday is a bit of the socio-political conversation where we have interaction with political affairs and current events. If you think that's something that interests you, please consider subscribing to this channel. Follow, like, share a comment, share the link, all that kind of good stuff. That all right? You are loved. You have purpose. You have a mind to think for yourself. You can open the book and see for yourself. You can identify the motives of individuals. You can see those who are sincere and genuine and those who aren't. You have that ability. You don't need any gatekeepers. You don't need these pastors and priests and all these individuals who claim to be religious leaders, nor those who are within the fold who act upon such nefarious and sinister ways. Don't need that. Stick with God. Stick with the scripture. Do what's right, and you'll be good to go. All right. Lord willing, tomorrow morning, peace out.